Welcome to The Void Project. I'm Kira Higgs, a strategist, meditator, and athlete. With a little help from my friends, I'm learning how to pare back what I own. It's not just about having less stuff to manage. It's about exposing old concepts hiding behind the excess. I'm learning from the best and running my own experiments. Listen in on 10 conversations packed with practical wisdom, insights, and tips. Before we get into episode 11, I want to mention that it's a special add-on. The reason is that when I recorded the conversation with Wendy Freer, we covered a couple of really big topics. Episode 10 focused on space clearing, and this episode, which you're about to hear, goes fairly deeply into the topic of death and dying, which many of us might think of as the ultimate void. Wendy's approach is both pragmatic and spiritual. She demystifies a number of things, sharing from her own experience, what she's observed, what she's learned, and also, toward the end of our conversation, how she wants to approach her own death. So here is the finale of The Void Project, a conversation with Wendy Freer. Enjoy. My guest today for this final episode of The Void Project series is Wendy Freer. Wendy is never satisfied with the superficial. Her curiosity compels her to search for what's underneath and behind initial appearances. When she was growing up in Connecticut, she lost friends and family to early death, which led her to a number of questions about and inquiry into death and dying. That unfeigned exploration propelled her into a deeply personal spiritual path. As a space clearer, Wendy leverages the energy of people's homes and offices to remove internal obstacles, loosen personal limitations, and position her clients to expand into an experience of the life that they truly want to live. Well, I wanted to move us into a segment, which I don't do with most guests. I've only done it with one other person on the podcast, Judy Dolmatch, and that is moving into this area of death and dying, which really has got to be the ultimate void for a human to contemplate. And this is something that I know you've been interested in for a very long time, taken quite seriously in your own explorations and and study. I just want to open it up to ask how you approach that, how you're thinking about that, and how have you demystified it? Because that seems, from what I know of you, to be a pretty big leap from where most people leave off in thinking about the topic. Gosh, where to start? Let's start with how I demystified it, because that's kind of an interesting concept right there. Like you said in the intro, at an early age, people around me started dying. And it wasn't always just family members. Sometimes it was friends that were my age. That definitely snapped something internal where it was like, I I need to know what's going on. When you hear about somebody dying or an uncle or an aunt and they're older and you go like, yeah, okay, that's part of the process of living, like you die. But when somebody your age dies and you're trying to sort through like, wait, what? How old were you when your friends were dying? So very early on, I think I was about nine years old and three girls that I knew were riding their bike and they got hit by a drunk driver and they all died. Bang, same day. Two of them were sisters. To be very honest with you, the thing that happened is I went to the funeral services for these girls. You know, I was young. My mom brought me and I got really upset. 
because I was going into different churches and listening to what the person in the front, whether it was a priest or a minister or whatever. And I was looking for answers. And you know what? That guy in the front didn't tell me anything that I needed to know. And I was like, how could this be okay? One of the families had lost two girls. How was that okay for this person not to give them some comfort and letting them know what happened at death? And, you know, that's a big expectation for a nine-year-old to be putting on the guy in front. It was like, no, he should be there. He should be explaining things. I need to know what happens. So I was so angry and I was so upset by this. This was a question I started holding at the age of nine. As soon as I could get my hands on any sort of books that described anything about afterlife, I started reading. So I think one of the first books I read was by Dr. Raymond Moody, Life After Life. All right. Okay. So now somebody's starting to open some doors for me. And I just continued to search for books about anything that people were doing studies on about life after life, life after death. Everybody called it something a little bit different. Some books that I read were about reincarnation. I just started digging because I couldn't find anybody who had the answers for me around me. And so I I turned to some books. The people who were around you, were they the ministers and the priests or were they? No, you know, like my family and my friends. They didn't, you know, they didn't want to talk about it. Don't talk about it. You're not supposed to talk about it. And here I am going, I don't want to just talk about it. I need answers. Like I was very demanding in my search to know. And so by the time I was in like junior high, I had come up with my own theories to kind of put myself at ease so that I wasn't making myself so intensely focused. Can you share what those theories were? You know, a few things. One, you die and you're dead and that's all and you don't know. And so, okay, that's, that's fine. The other one was, well, you die and you reincarnate. And to me, that was incredibly interesting. There was something about that one that I was like, oh, now that's interesting. And then it was, oh, you die and you go somewhere and that's where you are. So I took a little bit from religions. I took a little bit from the books, took a little bit from some sort of internal something. So I went, okay, well, I have a few options of things that could happen after you die. And they all seem, you know, okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that down for now. You got to the point where you saw a number of different possibilities with no assurance that any one of those was right, but having those was enough to, for that time in your life, was just having reached that awareness was enough to let it settle in for a while. Right. I let those roll for a little bit. And then, of course, there were more deaths. And so then it was like, okay, that's good. Something wasn't afraid to face the concept of death. But now I wanted to know how to have a good death. So now became personal. So now I'm in high school. I'm in my senior. I I have to ask you another question here. You wanted to have a good death. Yeah. Was that because people you were watching were having good or bad deaths? How did you arrive at this notion of, I want to, that's a pretty big leap. I want to have a good death. I guess it was more based on the fact that nobody was talking about it. And so it sort of left a certain gap somewhere. But also, I don't know if I could say these people were having a good death or a bad death because it wasn't like I was there at the moment of their death. 
But it seemed that something of that moment was kind of important. Do you remember what you thought a good death would be? Like, how would you measure it? I think one of the big things that came is that being on the side of not dying, when my friends died, I didn't want it to be a wasteful experience. I wanted to learn something from it, learn something about me. From your death or their death? Their death. Uh-huh. It's like somewhere inside I had this belief system that if somebody died and somehow I grew closer to myself or understood more about myself or had a certain new understanding of death itself, that then their death wasn't wasted. Maybe for me to try to paraphrase what you're saying. You were looking at it where them just factually living one day and dead the next felt like it wasn't enough. What you wanted around this whole notion of death is that it actually contributed to an understanding. It contributed to an awareness or it brought more to to your perspective than you had before that person had passed away. Right. Okay. Right. And it was like in that, I felt like I was honoring them and they were giving me a gift. And so that made it way more meaningful to me. I wasn't stuck in the loop of I'm angry because my friends have just died. It was like, wow, how do I make this moment in time meaningful? And then I started being in the same room as people who were dying. And I was looking for the meaning in the moment. I was looking for feeling my presence, feeling their presence. When people talk about looking for meaning, they're putting some will, some muscle, and usually some mind activity into filling an emptiness, making lemonade out of lemons, or twisting something to accommodate a belief, or making a pain go away by saying this is better than it really is. You know, there's all this stuff people do about making meaning, but if I'm tracking you, when you were in these experiences with people, you weren't laying meaning on it. You had an open slate approach to say, what's here? Am I seeing that correctly? Yeah, I think that you are. Because when I was actually in the room with people who were dying, I didn't feel a void at all. I felt a fullness. I wasn't in a space of this is terrible And now I have a massive hole. I was like, wait a minute. Why do I feel so much fullness at this point? What's happening? And again, it was that exploration of what am I seeing right here, right now? And to me, that felt like a gift. Someone is gifting me a perception of, you know, maybe death, but maybe life. I don't know. You know, I've spoken with people in hospice in part because my father had hospice when he was dying of pancreatic cancer. And it was my first time chatting with people who had done much of that. And I was really touched and moved to hear how they experienced it as a sacred Mm -hmm. moment in part because of what they would, I think, parallel in the description about what you're saying. It's, yes, it's sad. It's a loss of a life, but there's something 
tangible in the intangible that they mm-hmm. feel too. And I, I know I definitely felt it with my own father's passing and it kind of took my breath away because it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's but, probably one of the most beautiful events. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been at, I mean, I've been at some births, but it's been mine and it's been my children's. <laughs> it's kind of different when you're doing the birthing, but being at someone's death, like it's just full on. It, it's a beautiful experience if you could move past that level of it's only about the loss of a body. Because mm-hmm. to me, every time there was a revealing of a spirit, the two people, of course, that I was right in the room with was my dad when I was 25 and my mom just a couple of years ago. And the truth is those moments were some of the best, most most meaningful moments that I had with those two people. What does the fullness come from in your experience? What is filling? My sense of it is I'm feeling their presence, but to feel their presence, I have to be in my presence. The fullness is the combination, the togetherness of our presences. Not only am I seeing something completely awe-inspiring in these people who I called my dad and my mom, but I'm feeling something of myself that's much, much greater than my physical body. I'm, I'm feeling the fire of my own consciousness. I'm feeling their consciousness with my consciousness, and it creates this fullness and this warmth and this sense of like... Peace. Mm, peace. That is exactly what I felt with my dad. It was mind blowing. I wanted the room to stay that way forever. It was <laughs> profound. Yeah, I had a similar experience of wanting to be in that longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't mean that I didn't feel any of the sadness or the grief. I mean, I think that was also somewhere in the mix, but it just, it was also the thing that helped me feel more of everything else too. Like I couldn't completely blanket the loss and not feel it because it was part of the experience. The loss opened me up to feel the peace. I had to feel everything in that moment. How often do we really get to feel deeply, feel really deeply everything that's happening in one moment? It's challenging. And at the time of loss, something gets a bit forced open in a good way, where our feelings are right there on the surface and we get to feel everything. We feel the grief. We feel the love. We feel the peace. We feel the presence. We feel something of consciousness that's like completely intangible. What is that? I couldn't even tell you. I just knew whatever I was feeling there, that was my mom. And she wasn't my mom. She was this something else. (laughs) And it was magnificent to be in her presence with her presence at the moment of her passing. So much respect. Mm. So you have had now fulfillment of something you were looking for as a girl about Mm. understanding what's going on. And then as a young adult wanting to, if if there is meaning to discover it, 
not impose it, but open your eyes to what's there. How are you now thinking about your own life and what that process might be for you at the end before you go? It's a really good question because a friend of mine just lost his mother and he was having some pretty major realizations. And I wrote to him and I said, I hope that my children get as much out of my death as you are getting out of your mother's death. And there's something that I did years ago where I put together a death plan. And it's really funny because when I look back on it, it didn't have anything in it about what I wanted to happen with my stuff. <laughs> like there was nothing physical about it. Even your, Basic, even your body, you didn't describe how you want. No, to... I, I did say I wanted my body cremated. And at that point, I was thinking maybe put in a tree or something. But I heard that's not quite what I thought it would be. But besides that, it was all about how I wanted the room to be. <laughs> like, the, the, the room the, before you die or after in. you die yeah no that I was dying in like room. I wanted okay. I wanted a very you know and this is like well, of course this is the best case scenario this isn't like I die in an accident this is you know I'm getting old and I'm tired and I'm dying and I'm in a room and what I wanted the space of that room to feel like to help me have this in air quote good death <laughs> the way I wanted it to be peaceful and that I wanted to have candles. And if people wanted to come in to see me, that there was a certain sense of quietness that they held or internalization, you know, of their energy. And it's like I painted the picture of what I thought it might feel like for me to actually leave my body. And I wanted the room to reflect the peace and the harmony and the love that I felt my presence would reflect as I was separating out from the body. That was my death plan, which is probably need to revise a few things. But yeah, it was about kind of that last moment of giving to my children, how I wanted something to match my presence, but also let them feel me not mom, not Wendy, but my present as I was leaving, supposedly leaving them. Hmm. Based on how you had drawn experiences and the conditions in which you were able to draw those experiences with the depths you were present for, your first draft of the death plan set up, I want to call it instructions for how you would like people to be with you and be present in the room that you're in so that there's a possibility that they might draw from your own death some of the fullness that you drew in being with other people who were dying. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Because again, I feel like that's the gift. If they could receive me, they could receive my presence, then they would know something more about themselves or, or something more about me living on somewhere somehow that felt important having having children and it doesn't sound like an expectation you have that they have to get that but more that mm -hmm. unlike someone who lays out well i want to have these colored flowers in my room and i want this music to be playing like because it's going to make me feel good when i go I just heard an interview from a new podcast with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus interviewing Jane Fonda, 
Mm-hmm. And they were talking about, let's see, who was it? Someone that Jane, was either Jane or Julia knew, who was older and was getting ready to die. And she wanted to put lipstick on before she died. <laughs> she would look good when she got to heaven. Like what you've described is not about you having the send off that it's really more of a an offering that you want to make available to people who are near you when that happens. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, certainly part of it's selfish so that I feel like I can have a smooth exit. I wrote that plan before I had my experience with my mom. And so when I look back on it, it's very much what my experience was with her that I want my family or the people around me to have with me at Mm. the time of my death. Both of my parents, in my opinion, died really well. And I guess that's where I have this sense of a good death. You die well, like something more happens, the space changes. I mean, maybe that's why I like space clearing. Something more happens, the space changes. I feel my I feel my client's presence. They feel their presence. I don't know. Maybe it's all the same thing somewhere. And you're not describing a good death as being an easy death, like I want to die in my sleep or I don't want pain. You're describing something really different as a good death. Yeah. Yeah. I don't expect that it's going to be easy. I've seen it up close and personal a couple of times, and I don't think it was easy, but I think it was beautiful. Mm. Anything else around this topic that you want to share before we begin to wrap up? Just I think that my passion for it goes way beyond anything that I can explain in words. It's really about connecting with the part of myself that has a much greater awareness and perception of maybe life or death or somewhere that they they be. They're the same somewhere in me. Well, thank you. It's not often that people can have this kind of conversation about death and dying. And hmm, I can feel your own innate motivation and drive to understand and the quest toward that understanding and then having arrived at perspective. To me, it feels like a perspective about what is, not what you want it to be, but what Mm. is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Kind of seeing reality just as it is. Well, thank you so much, Wendy. I love this this, uh, exchange and all that you've brought. I think I'm going to be thinking about what you've just shared for for quite a while and super appreciative of your making the time for this. Thank you. Thanks, Kara. There's not much I can add to what Wendy just shared or what I shared with her in our conversation. I will note that there are a number of resources in the show notes. When I started the Void Project, I did not have this topic in mind at all. I never imagined that we would go into this territory. But as the conclusion of the series approached, and I connected with Wendy about being a guest, I realized that it actually was a wonderful way to culminate the series. Not a popular topic, but an important one. And to approach it in an eyes wide open way, to me was an amazing opportunity. And Wendy was the person to take us there. Thank you for listening. 
Be well, take care, and may you continue to learn as you press into the void in your own life. <laughs>